Hi, I'm Philip Erlinger, and you're listening to Alchemy, a podcast where I meet with New Zealand creatives to learn how they combine design, tech, and business to create exceptional products and user experiences. Welcome to our first episode. Before we start the show, I just wanted to quickly give you some background on what we're doing and why we're doing it. I'm Philip Fierlinger, and I was a co-founder of Zero, where I was head of design for nearly 10 years. Over those years, I hired a lot of Massey Design students who quickly became our top designers. So I was really excited when Massey asked me to develop some online course material. As a starting point, we decided to do this podcast. So this podcast is created in collaboration with the College of Creative Arts, where I'm now an adjunct professor. We're doing this podcast first and foremost to help design students get familiar with the people shaping our industry, to learn how they approach problems, generate ideas, and produce amazing work. You'll discover their insights, their struggles, their breakthroughs with a uniquely New Zealand perspective. If you want to stay up to date with our episodes, read more about our guests, see photos of my guests and their work, just go to alchemypodcasts.com. That's alchemypodcasts, with an S at the end, dot com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, at alchemypodcasts. In today's episode, I talk with Sonia Williams, co-founder of Sharesies, a fast-growing startup based in Wellington. Sharesies makes it extremely easy for anyone to build your own investment portfolio. You only need $5 to start investing on Sharesies. It's a great product, and in the interview, Sonia explains how it all came together. To me, the story of Sharesies is extraordinary. I've been involved with startups my entire career, so I know just how rare it is to come across a startup that's executed so well every step of the way. The reality is most startups are constantly teetering on the brink of catastrophe in a daily fight for survival. But in the case of Sharesies, they've gone from strength to strength with exceptional focus and clarity. I consider their approach to be a master class in building and growing a startup. So without further delay, here's Sonia and I talking about the founding of Sharesies. I am one of the founders uh, of Sharesies, Sonia Williams, and in day-to-day there, I look after the product and marketing. Do you have a title, an official title? <laughs> yes, I guess so. Um, the one I love is um, co-founder. Right, yeah. Um, I'm also a director of the company. Right. Um, and then it's chief product and marketing officer. Right. In summary, we are an online platform that makes it easy to start investing. So our kind of our key goal is to um, provide everyone with access to investments. Um, and so the key way how we do that is the platform, which is all online. Um, we've removed any jargon um, and really focus on educating people to help get started. Mm. Uh, and then on top of that, the minimum investment is five dollars into any of the funds that we have. And so, how long have you been doing this? Uh, we started. Uh, I guess the original idea and concept kind of started. In October of 2016, mm. uh, from there we did about nine months of customer research, and um, and to right from validating the idea to having an MVP and launching a product. Right. Um, and then we launched our product in June right. of 2017. Right. You formed in October of 2016. So, who who exactly formed it, and how did you form it? Yeah. And why? Cool. Yeah. A team of seven of us founded mm. the company, mm. um, and we all have kind of different ways that we joined and different reasons for joining. Mm. Um, my story, I guess, is that um, I was working in a bank at the time. Um, previously, I had been working in software mm. at Xero and then at other startups, um, another startup called Collect. 
and then moved to banking. There was this thing called the Bank Fintech Accelerator that was coming up. And I had always wanted to start my own business and mm. do something that I was super, super passionate about. Um, one thing that I noticed from kind of shifting from software to banking is that how little I was prepared for the things in the banking world. I didn't understand kind of investing as a start. I didn't mm. un- really understand how banks made money, what they were trying to achieve. Um, so how did you pick investing as the thing well, you wanted to do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, one night um, at the time, I guess it's good for context, at the time the media was just filled with um, the millennials not being able to buy houses, the smashed avocado generation <laughs> kind of argument. Um and I guess it all just was feeling a bit dire for people starting out today. Like, mm. how do you get ahead if the key thing that everyone focuses on in New Zealand to grow their wealth is ages away? The milestone is so far away. Um, and so one night I was at home with my partner and we were talking about whether we go out for dinner or not. And I think I just knew that I was going to spend that 50 bucks on something else in the next few days. Mm. There was really nothing meaningful I could do with that money in that time. Right. Um, and then just started thinking, what if I could invest this money? What if I could invest it and in a fun way? For, did you look for yeah, opportunities well, to yep, do that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's when, you know, the research came in. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and so looked around, and I think the, there was a few kind of places that gave you access into the market, but um, it just felt too hard to right. get started. Right. So that's when the team of us of seven from really different backgrounds, so uh, two developers, um, Brooke, who is our CEO, and has a master's in finance, um, Leighton, who knows about investing and was a product manager at Kiwi Bank, um, mm. and then Ben, who's um, the designer for Shearsies, um, and John, who was into research. So were you the kind of the, the brainchild of it, so to speak? Like the, yeah, I guess so. And you, yeah. you formed the idea, and then you gathered a team around you, essentially? Yeah, well, yeah. the accelerator was coming up, and... Um, when what so... The idea happened when before October, October. yeah, uh, yeah. But that was kind of the reason right. we we're thinking of ideas of how we could do this. Mm. Um, and then so I was introduced to Leighton, who was also wanting to do something in the accelerator. And so we just joined forces, really. And it was like, cool, yeah, we all are on board with this. We all resonated with the idea. Um, one of the cool things about Leighton's story is that he had an investment club when he was 18 where they all put in $50 a week. Mm. So he'd been doing this for like 11 years with 13 of his friends and family. Mm. Um, and I guess what that showed is that was kind of, I guess, an early prototype for small amounts being meaningful over right. a long Proof period of, of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when was the accelerator? When did that actually kick off? So that kicked off in the February. Um but before that, you have to kind of apply and then you pitch to get in. Right. And then um, so there is a bit of a process before going full time. And part of being in the accelerator is that you needed to be full time. Right. So that was kind of like a big right. decision Okay, so you were all quitting your jobs to do this. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's a big commitment. Yeah, so, so I and think... And how did you feel about that? Well, I mean, it was all around getting yourself into a position where it didn't feel like a risk. Right. Like at that time, I was just so jazzed and excited about right. getting involved yeah. that um it didn't feel risky to me right but then uh that was we did ruthlessly validate the idea as much as possible to get to a position where in february we left right we definitely felt like we had a plan yeah that we felt like the, the gap was real so the problem did, was real right and how did you go about validating it in that time um so it really started with uh we did some in-depth research mm. so started with the customer problem like validating whether that the problem was real. 
Um, and so we made a list of questions quite broad around money um, in general, mm. where people were at with their lives, what they thought about money, what they thought about long-term wealth, uh, what they were working for towards at the time um, and in the future, and then started to drill in a bit more around investing specifically. Mm. Um, and we learned so much, but uh, part of what we learned was that there was definitely a, a stigma about the types of people who invested, mm. um, but there was an aspiration to be an investor. So that meant you were kind of savvy with your money um, and that you were kind of doing the right things. So then we learned about the barriers, which were that it was just too hard to get started. You wouldn't even know how. You needed too much money and um, they didn't feel like the current investing options were for them. Mm. So and roughly how many people did you? So we did so in-depth interviews around... 50 people. So we interviewed every two weeks mm. with a new set of questions or a more refined set of questions yep. um, and then a different group of people. Mm. Um, and then from, so it started pretty exploratory. And then as we started to refine the concept, we would actually put things in front of people right. um, and talk through them. And what kind of things were those? Um, I know you hate this because you mentioned it before, but it was um, paper prototypes right. uh-huh. of things. Yeah. Um, but one of the things was, uh, we wanted to create uh, this picture in people's mind but ask them what information was missing mm. or what they would expect to see there. So it mm. didn't need to be detailed. It right. just needed to be a core concept that people could kind of connect to yeah. but not give anything away, that it was something that um, sparked conversation. What do you mean give it away? Uh, I guess the moment you put something down, that thing exists right. and no one's going to tell you to take it away. Right. But if you start with a blank page, right. but create kind of, I guess, boundaries of where you're wanting to focus right. people. So like co-designing it in a way, does it feel like that they're involved? Kind of, yeah, in, definitely. Right? So you say, you know, you just put a, a button. It was very basic. It was just kind of like, share these, login button, sign mm. up. Mm. I was like, what do you expect to happen when you have this right. button? Yeah. I was like, I would expect to log in <laughs> or sign up. Success. And then, um, you know, when you're, when you're trying to visualize uh, financial information, mm. What you show is really important, yeah. um, and it has to answer questions. And we really stripped back what we showed to make sure the information we showed was of the highest importance to mm. everyone right? Um, and answered the questions they need. Because everyone's – you see a graph and you're just put off by it mm. if you don't understand yeah. what the graph means. Right. So what it is, how, did you, how did you resolve that? Like you put a graph in front of them and they – We didn't – yeah, we yeah. just kind of didn't put a graph. I think the first thing was like a circle. Right. Um, and why is that better than a graph? Well, it was about like showing portfolio diversity. So we focused on the diversity right. um, of the risk levels of investments. And that was something we asked people to rate mm. um, what was important to them. What would they like to see with investing? Right. And that refined what we showed in the prototype. Right. And so by, you know, when you got to February, mm-hmm. what did you have at that stage? So February, we had, I guess, a strong core team, which was, is yep. like the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, 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 an idea or a pitch pack put together, mm. which for us outlined, um, you know, the competitive landscape, the problem, who our customer is, how we think we're going to um, solve that problem. Mm. We had an idea, um, quite a refined prototype. Uh, In what form? In um, Balsamic, which is, uh, it's like the digital paper prototype, mm-hmm. which was click-throughable. Um, and so it was a, a very clear idea of 
the solution to the problem. And so do you have that pitch? Yeah. <laughs> it's in a um, – so the point of the, the thing with the pitch was that it, there was no slides, so you just talk through oh, it. Oh, right. Um, original. Just searching now. Here we go. <laughs> I haven't looked at this for a very long time. <laughs> so it's a script, essentially. Yeah. Right. But we talked to it. So really – what we were trying to communicate at that point, what our problem was, mm. uh, that the problem was real and felt by people, that there was a market here or a gap in the market. Yep. Why now? And why we were the people. And did you, at that stage, have any idea of the business model? How you were actually going to generate revenue from this? No. We had ideas. Right. You did. Okay. And did you pitch those? or you? No. no right. So you're just saying, hey, we've discovered a problem that we believe we can actually solve. Mm -hmm. We don't, and nobody asked you, like, how are you going to make money off of this? Um, I think we had an idea, but no. Right, okay. Not, that wasn't part of what we put forward at that time. Right, right. So you get into the accelerator, and then what? And um, how long did that last? That was three months. Right. And so three of us went full-time, and because the things that we needed to focus on at that time were uh, largely the regulatory framework. Fun. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It's like, because that's the stuff that, um, you know, you think of financial institutions and where they get to and you know that they're regulated, mm. but you don't really know the regulation that, that governs them or mm. keeps them and then why that exists. Mm. Um, and so it was kind of, we really had an idea of what we wanted and it was really customer-driven um, and it was really around this is what, you know, we think is going to solve this gap for this market. Um, and then working through how how that can exist mm. in its form and how that needs to change to to um, kind of meet the regulation. Right. And I think in the first week we met um, the FMA, which is our regulator, who is the Financial Markets Authority. And it was so great getting that FaceTime with the regulators. Mm. And they're just people and mm. they exist for a reason and it's to pre protect people. Mm. And this is an area where, you know, people can be exploited and you don't want that to happen. Mm. So I think largely what we realize is that we share the same vision, which mm. is that um, we want to educate people so they can be empowered to make their mm. own financial decisions. And that's something they believe in too. So right. yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah, cooperated yeah. to get to a point. And so were you intimidated at any stage? Like when you formed the team, were you like, holy shit, what are we doing? Uh, or was it? Did it all just feel like, wow, this is this feels so good, and we're just, you know, grooving here, and nothing can hold us back. It's always funny to like try and recall emotions, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. especially um, everything's rosy and yeah, well, yeah, and it's one of those things like sometimes yeah, you can't even recognize it because you're just moving forward. Yeah, yeah. But um, I can't think of any sticky points. I think um, at that point the resilience of a team and when you're working with everyone who's so can do, yeah, you just find a way. And I think yeah. the people who are naturally gravitate towards startups or starting businesses are people who are up for a challenge in the first place. So mm. does that feel frustrating? Probably not. Like it's more right. in the excitement category. I mean, it is pretty unusual to have start off with a team of seven. Yeah. That's, and where people, what kind of feedback were you getting from people as you're going through these stages? Was it, well, that was actually it was it or? was seen as um a risk early on yeah. um and at the time we didn't understand why that would be um but I think now um 
I think what people are people were worried about was alignment. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where the values and communication and knowing why you're there and setting those expectations really early on. Um, and when did you do that? So, I mean, values, yeah, is an yeah. incredibly important thing to me. Yeah. But it's something that most companies overlook and or they think, you know, when we get big, then we'll do values. Yeah. <laughs> which is no. insane. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, um, well, your purpose is everything, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't so get people it. do I don't, mission statements. I don't get out but of. They don't yeah. do company values. They don't. They often don't. Of how think you're going to behave? Yeah, exactly. Um, we did that pretty early on. Right, like even before you got into the accelerator. Uh, when we started working full time together, we did. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So once the accelerator kicked off. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, and was but that? It was, would you did, feel like you were advised to do that, or no. that's something you naturally did? Um, was this support? Um, I think we'd all worked in companies where. And saw the pain of retrospectively fitting values to mm-hmm. meet a place, um, and how values can become these aspirations, or they they can kind of they don't really reflect the true value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of what's rewarded in a company, yeah. or the decisions you make every day, if they don't link back. Yeah, they're yeah. artificial. Yeah, they're, they're, art- they're yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think um, we wanted to we wanted to make sure that we were really aligned. You know, we were real, we knew from day one we were really purpose driven. Mm. We had, we really wanted to change. We mm. believed in this problem and we wanted to change it, um, and that aligned us. Right. But then going forward, it was important that we worked in a way that we all respected each other mm. and created an environment where mm. we all felt comfortable to work there. And uh, so at that stage, there. so you know, you you go into the accelerator. Are you? Is there a de- predefined expectation about what you're supposed to the outcome? Are you supposed to have a working product? in the market by the end of the three months or yeah so the way that they structure um accelerators is it's about getting you to a point where you're investment ready right and so um it's really they kind of set these loose milestones but it all kind of builds to this day where you pitch in front of investors and you're trying Mm. to get investment and and so that's kind of what Mm. what you've focused on so really it's about de-risking your business um for us we had allowed ourselves three months mm. to get into a position where we felt comfortable. Right. So we were going to we were going to leave our jobs to start, yeah. but then um, as part of that conversation, they gave us three months leave, mm. and they said, "Cool, you guys can take the three months leave, and then let us know." All right. Which is massively yeah, supportive. Yeah, that is. Um, oh. And that so and they were sponsoring That's big de-risking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that de-risked it at that point, but it also meant that um, we were kind of we all had really great jobs. Mm. We wanted to get to a place where if something wasn't going to work, we found it out quicker rather than later. We didn't want to work on something for a year and then be like, oh, actually, there's nothing there. Right. But you're dealing with a really complex space, right? You know, it's a regulated space that is banking and has financial. So did you ever have these moments of uh, just terror? They're like, holy shit. We don't, you know, we just opened uh, an abyss to endless, bottomless problems. Or did you, you know? I guess the key thing is that um, the way that, you know, there's like a methodology, which is, you know, like get something out fast and get customers Mm -hmm. testing it and using it, take that feedback and then, you know, move on. But like... The technical challenges, and then there's regulatory. No, challenges. but this is the this yeah, is the okay, yeah this is the, the point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we couldn't release anything mm. 
that before it was kind of within the legal framework. So all the kind of concepts of getting out there and testing it and making sure people pay for what you're creating as a de-risker of a business couldn't exist because we couldn't launch. We couldn't market something that was a financial product without... Because of the accelerator, they had access... Through the accelerator, you had access to these... uh, They introduced us to people, yeah. yeah. Right, and who could give you the guidance, Mm -hmm. experts in the field and that were, you know, so, so that... So you would go, you know, throw an idea at them and say, hey, this is where we're heading. You know, can you advise us? Are there any pitfalls or any gnarly bits here that we're going to run into? Is that kind of how you did it? Um, So, yeah, we talked to the regulators. So when we met with the FMA, we just talked to them really early on about what we were. So Mm. first we talked to a lawyer. Right. Um, They kind of talked around what regulation we fall within. Right. Um, and what makes us fall within that stuff and what we need to be mindful of and what it would cost to be, um, you know, to kind of be in that bucket. Yeah. Uh, and then when we met with the regulators. And that wasn't scary, like what it would cost to be in that bucket? Um, I guess there was different ways you can do it. So, um, you know, and it did put a limit on some of the things. Like at first, I guess our idea was that We'd have to pull every so the minimum buy-in to some of the investment funds mm. could be like a hundred thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, and we we knew we wanted the minimum to be really low. Mm. Um, and so at first we were thinking that we'd have to kind of, um, I guess, pull everyone's money together. Then when they saved enough together, then yeah. place the investment on behalf mm-hmm. of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually found out there was a simpler way of doing that, and right. that uh, we didn't have to do that. That every individual person could. Um, own the investments and things. Right. And so of. there were there were facilities out there mm-hmm. that you know did you and you discovered along the way mechanisms existing yeah. investment platforms that you could tap into. Is that? And I think that's the benefit of um, being so. Leighton and Brooke had you know great experience in banking, right? And had worked closely with regulators in the past right. and kind of knew things. So so things such as. Anti-money laundering right. is a um, it's you know, it stops the yeah, bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we can't take any money from our customers until we have an anti-money laundering program. Right. And what that means is that um, we have to identify everyone yeah. on the platform. So we have to actually verify their identity. Yeah. We have to prove where it's they like live. It's like KYC or something. Yeah, like that's that. yeah. like know your customer. Yeah. So that it means that. So that's the upfront obligation is that mm. we have to know who's using the platform. Yeah. And then ongoing, we have to um, monitor any suspicious transactions or make sure people are behaving in the way we think that they should. So it's money in and then money out. We have to monitor kind of overall. And so there were people on your team that did have, were aware of those things and had some understanding and and were comfortable enough that you could handle that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if you didn't, if you were kind of getting into this world and you didn't know what like AML was, anti-money laundering, Mm then, yeah, there would be a lot to learn. And I think that's part of coming from a place of experience in the industry that you're getting into, which meant that um, because there was that experience Mm. there, we could go, we knew the questions to ask. And so when you guys formed, Mm -hmm. did you have your roles, first of all? um, Was it clear cut, like you immediately understood your roles and just went to do your job and... Pretty much. Like, I know that's kind of oversimplifying <laughs> it, but um, so everyone comes from like 
a place right. and a point of view that yeah. is needed to make Yeah, and so what work. was your role at that point? So my role um, was definitely in the, like, product and marketing, what it right. is now. Right. Yeah. So it just kind of grows as your team grows, yeah. and then it's about the gaps. And so then what, what were your expectations, and were these in your original pitch, that you think that you could grow to X by X date, and you could be launched by X date, and... Um, so Did you have any of that already? I, you probably didn't have that going into pitched for the no, actual accelerator. But it's definitely part of the picture that you build. Right. So when we went in, um, I mentioned that three of us were full-time. Yeah. And so Brooke, her core focus was on raising capital yeah. and getting us to that place. Right. Um, mine was largely on um, the research and building the product and then how we're going to market the mm. product. So we started doing content marketing quite early on. Right. Um, to then get to a place where we had, I think, 6,000 email addresses before we launched. Right. Um, and then Leighton, he, he kind of was really focused on the business model and also the compliance side, so the regulation. Right. As you're starting to develop an idea of the product, what the product is, you know, how did that, do you have like some of your early prototypes, some of your balsamic? Yeah, probably. Um, actually... I mean, this probably isn't super detailed, but that's the actual paper. So this is yeah. just a piece of paper with an iPhone um, layer on it, uh, and everything's pen drawn. And then the next one is kind of a balsamic prototype, which is a digital paper version where you can just kind of drag and drop elements. And then the next one's kind of like what we launched with, which is the full-blown. So I guess what did we, what did we look at? So... This is largely what we did. Right. So, so we just can you kind walk of, me through it? Yeah, yeah. Um, we just built out, I guess, the core parts of the app. The um, For the MVP, we really focused on being able to go through the sign-up process and then um, be able to buy investments. Um, and so what would happen is Ben and I would sit together and talk around. Uh, it would all kind of start on paper. And then I would, because Ben was working at another job, mm. um, I would kind of build these during the day mm. and then we'd get back together at night and then talk about kind of where to go from there. Right. Um, and the information that we were going to have on it and what we needed to have. And so we really just went through the sign-up process. I mean, the sign-up process seems like the most uninteresting part of it. So what were the, you know, where were the gnarly bits, the I think the things sign- that you had to really iterate on? The sign-up process, um, although you kind of say that it's like the non-exciting part, right. it's also a really challenging part yep. because uh, this is, again, another challenge of being a financial product, mm. um, which leads to like cool problem solving, I reckon, mm. um, is that, you know, most people, like experts will tell you, don't put anything in your sign-up process that doesn't have to be there. Mm. Um, make sure it's lean, you know, like cut everything out. Yep. And there's like people who do onboarding teardowns that yep. go through onboardings of products and strip them away and tell you all the garbage you have in your sign-up mm. process. Um, but we have to do so much um, before customers are allowed to see the platform. Because of legal requirements. Because of, yeah, 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 because of legal requirements, which is the anti-money laundering yep. side of things. Um, so it was the right cool, there's this friction, and this friction is there on purpose. Mm. This friction is because you don't want some people using your platform if they're going to use it for mm. the wrong reasons, and you need to weed those people out. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting challenge because you're like, 
it has to stop some people. It's there for a reason. Right. Um, we make we have to make sure that we're stopping the right people, right. while not um, hurting the experience of people yeah. who Legitimate. should be yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so that was where we put most of our effort. Right. Oh, fascinating. It was right. in the sign up process. Right. So and so that's onboarding, and that's mm-hmm. an often highly neglected part of products. Mm. That they build a, a product that's really interesting, but actually getting people to use the product is mm-hmm. a huge hurdle, a huge obstacle, and you lose people in that onboarding. Mm. So it was really commendable that you, yeah. from the early days, you you. Made I guess that. like that comes into background. Like that was largely like my job at, when I was at Zero was right. around like how you get mm. the people that have signed up and created a trial yeah. into using your product, and that's really. Yeah. A, a hard part and it's a hard thing to and so, kind of change once it's in place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. We decided to, um, to take payment right? because to check people was going to cost us. Right. So we couldn't let people in right. before they were committed to using because right. we would then have that upfront cost. Right. Um, and as well, one of the insights, so the key, so when I say onboarding, it was really the flow from creating an account right through to making your first investment. Yeah. And that's the thing we obsessed over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we wanted that to happen in the first visit, all of that stuff. And so like a, an insight, I guess, before we launched when we were testing it. Um, so the night before we launched, we did some user testing. Mm. And one of the things was deciding what to invest was really hard. Mm. But once you've done it once or placing the first investment was hard, but once you've done it once, you know how to do it. Right. But that first time was really a painful one. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the idea of um, giving people a welcome bonus to test the platform. Right. So they have money sitting in there waiting. Right. And that, a part of that was as well, um, people can only put money into the platform through bank deposit. Right. Um, and so that was going to be a delay. Yeah. So if people had to wait to get the de- bank yeah. deposit, you can see how we could just lose people. Yeah. So to access the platform, you would yeah. have to pay first. Through what? Like credit card? Or? Yeah, through yeah. credit card. Right. And then a portion of that goes into the wallet. I see. I see. I see. Right. So you're taking their money and then, hey, we're giving you some money. People are welcome bonus. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And that, oh, that's started. very clever. Yeah. When you say you're obsessed about like how, how, how many iterations do you think you did through that onboarding and that first use? Like I mentioned before about the two week testing. Yeah. Like we're always just yeah. kind of, we'd always have something ready to test yeah. for the next week. Yeah. Um, and I guess we were just constantly changing it. And were these working prototypes or were they? Yeah, working prototypes. Right. They were so, the, so, um, they were the, um. So they were balsamic, so they're yeah. fake working, you know, so not fully functioning, but they were. I mean, you can click. Yeah, 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 And yeah. The, the, the things click. Yeah, sure. Um, you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you're like shaking your head yeah. like, I hate this. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But yeah, no. I mean, I when I say working prototype, I mean actually a, a functioning um, proof of concept, uh, working software. Not no, not working yeah, software. Yeah, so this this I consider a design prototype yes. rather than a working prototype. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you were working with design prototypes. Yes. And um and so you're getting going back to the drawing board, doing lots of iterations. And were there? Do you remember any of the big kind of aha uh-huh, you know moments where something you thought was really obvious or simple and then in your testing just became a real obstacle that you were surprised at? Hmm. Definitely the money, the first investment right. was a massive insight. Um, oh, I think 
around the information people wanted to see mm. and what was important to them to make the decision. And um, and a lot of it was around people were quite concerned about what was being invested mm. in and how ethical that investment was. Um, and that was something that was really important to making that decision. And also risk was right. something that was... So most of the time, if you were kind of asking someone what, well, how they would pick an investment, mm. people would say, the one that's going to get me the most money. Yeah. Um, but for our customers in the group that we talked to, mm. it was really about understanding risk and understanding what I'm going to have to give up for the chance to gain. Mm. Um, and that those insights have taken us through now. Like We really rely on those. Right. Um, and they help frame where we put hierarchy of information. Right. And what we focus on. And so are you doing, you're continuing to do that level of user testing? We don't do every two weeks right. now, but um, we still do testing, yeah. Right, right. On design prototypes, mockups? Uh, and also on um, new things coming up. So right. we always kind of validate what we're up to, and then uh, we will run people through right. designs before we launch. Over the course of these three months... Did you find it to be pretty, you know, that you're in the accelerator and you come out and then what were your expectations? Like at the end of those three months, what did you have and what were your expectations at that point? I think you're expected to have a product to market mm. by the time the accelerator ended. Mm. Um, we knew that we weren't going to be able to do that. Right. We just knew. And so what we did do was focus on things that, I guess, gave us the same information that we would get you know, so the point of launching something in market is to see if you've got product market fit, yeah. I guess, to use the term. Yeah. Um, and so we we really focused on, I guess, other ways we could show that mm. without necessarily having to have the product. Um, we talked about the risk of rushing something out and what that could do. Mm. Um, and we decided, no, that we could try and get that information in different ways. So, so at the stage that you were, you know, at the end of the accelerator, had you actually built anything, any product? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. coded up and yep. engineered a platform of some kind. So what did mm -hmm. you have at that stage? So we've got the front end, um, and then we also have a registry, I guess, is mm. the easiest way to put it, which is uh, every time someone places an investment or puts money into the system, mm. we have to track that that's that, per that right. goes to that person. Now this, but this is, I'm saying, at the, the end of the three-month accelerator. Yeah. So we had you built had that. we had built right. the back end. Oh right, okay. Yeah, and then um, and that has to be audited, and there's so many controls around how that has to be built. Right. A lot of people um, outsource that, or there's providers that provide that mm. as a service. Mm -hmm. uh, and we decided to build our own um, on the latest technology, and because of the skill sets that we had. Right. Um, so one of our developers, Martin, was he worked on the TAB platform, right. which is. If you think of someone having to manage small transactions and changes of price, right. that's probably the closest thing that right. we've got in New Zealand. Yeah. So um, those so skills really... Yeah, right, you know, translated. Yeah. Wow, that's very cool. And so if we had that capability to make mm. those decisions, um, to build it ourselves and on the latest software. So you had some AWS. foundational technology. Mm. W would you say now, looking in hindsight, that's a, that was a... A very good decision to do it yourself, build it your own, and is it a competitive advantage at all? Or I would say 100%. Um, yeah. Because of our purpose, why we exist, mm. is that we want to give the same investment opportunities to someone with $50 as someone with 50000 right. Um A lot of the reasons people don't do that is because it's expensive to maintain yeah. customers. Um, but for us, 
because we've made, we've built our own system, mm. because we're built on the latest technology, it doesn't really cost us much more to have one customer or like a hundred thousand customers with a dollar as it does to have one customer with a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Definitely yeah. helped us. So, so the accelerator, you know, came to an end mm-hmm. and what did you have and what, how did that go? You pitched to yeah, so you some pitched actual to, investors, uh, some investors. We yeah. had raised money, um, earlier in the process. All right. Um, we did what's called a convertible note, yeah. which is, um, I guess essentially you take a loan from investors, uh, without putting a valuation on the company. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of gave us another period of time. We did that because... And how because much did you raise in that? 400000 Right. And so Brooke was doing a lot of that. Yeah. Right. And so that kind of gave us, because we didn't have that product in market, mm. we really wanted to get to that point before deciding, you know, putting a valuation on the company yep. or deciding where to go from there. And so we spent that money on on the things that would get us to that point. Which were... Uh, which were really around launching the product, all mm. the regulation costs, um, and scaling the marketing side. Right. And so what did you pitch when you, the investor pitch at the accelerator? Mm-hmm. Um, so what that was, was, um, I'll, I'll grab it. And so the pitch was really um, setting up the problem and talking about the problem, um, which is that... People felt jargoned out, priced mm. out, left out. Um, we showed a visual indication of what the, what we could what it could look like, mm. but we largely spoke to that because mm. we didn't have something. Uh, we talked about our market size, um, and we talked about competition, product vision. So where so where we were starting and where we were wanting to go. Mm-hmm. We had a business model at that stage. And what was your business model? Uh, it was um, an annual subscription of mm-hmm. $30. It was earning money off money deposited into the mm-hmm. wallet that hadn't been invested and uh, earning a commission on the, f- the investments themselves. Right. And is that still, does that hold as your business model? Mm-hmm. Right. That's still how we go about it. And so I guess the big thing for us was showing our growth and so where we were going and and how that how that had changed over mm. time. And so collecting those email addresses, although we didn't have customers, right. we did have people interested. Um, and so that was a really important kind of proxy. Yeah, a metric. Point for, for, yeah, yeah, a metric, that's the key. That's the way. Um, and then we talked about team. Like, that's really important. They kind of say at that stage of a company – when you're like pitching for your first investment, it's really the idea in the market. Does mm. it have legs? And then are these people the right people to do it? Yeah. And is the time right? Yeah. Why now? Why these people? And, and so you really stress those things. If I think if you were ever trying yeah. to focus your pitch on things, those are the things. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I find really interesting is that you did that content marketing early mm. and that you build a following and build an audience. Mm-hmm. And so how how did that go and how did that evolve when you think of solving a problem yeah. and you're like love this problem mm. so a product is one way you solve that problem yeah but really from the insights we got there's so much in that around people need to feel confident and people don't know about these concepts and people don't really even know about investing and um i guess 
that's another way we deliver on our purpose is through the education side of yeah. things. Um, we, so it's something we still continue to do mm. now. And, and that's because it not only helps people be interested in us, mm. we're talking about something we care about. We feel like we're adding value even if people aren't using the product. Mm. Um, and if people are customers, that information helps them be more awesome yeah. on the product with yeah. using the product. Yeah. Uh, so, and I you're think, building trust and you're yeah, building a relationship. Is, yeah. So I think that's the thing is a lot of people think of content as conversion mm. and um, I've got to do this to acquire this many customers. Yeah. And I guess that is it to a point. But if you're clear in why you exist, yeah. you're clear about your customer and what, what they're going through. If you write about something they care about, you will get their attention. Yeah. But the point is you want long-term attention. Like I think of mm. um, Intercom, which is a great example of content marketing. Mm. I started following the Intercom blog eight years ago. And because I was in technology, I was sitting in marketing, wanting to get into product space. Mm. I was thinking about the best way to deliver a customer experience, best way to delivering customer support to mm. people. Um, and they were writing about that. It wasn't until this time that I could actually implement using right. Intercom as a product because yep. the business I was in at the time was too big. They had other, they'd built their own bespoke customer management software. Um, but what they'd done is they'd built my trust over that time. So when the time came for me to make that purchasing decision, right. I chose them because yep. they built cred, they built trust. Yep. If they were only writing blogs about converting me, yeah. They, I would, they would never have gained my trust right. or my attention yeah. over that time. Uh, so I think that's kind of a really cool thing about. Content and so, how marketing. much content were you generating, producing, and um, were you writing all of it yourself? We all shared, right? Um, and so we were kind of at the time doing around three blogs mm. a week was our right. goal. How did you decide what to write about? Really, what resonated through the research that we did. Right. So we user kind of had a hand pick of out. yeah, yeah, yeah. We had it kind of some high-level topics. Right. The first one was, you know, why we exist, introducing right. us, mm. our problem, um, what, what you know, what we're up to and mm. what we were, we were heading and to get on board if you're kind of interested in yep. staying in the loop of it. Um, and then right there were things about, I think Brooke wrote one about how she does her budget. Mm. What we learned is that it's taboo to talk about money. So we decided a part of what we were doing is that we want to encourage conversation. Right. We want to make it okay. To mm. share, because how do you? How else do you learn? And did that happen? Did that? Yeah. Actually, right. So yeah. we had um, really great engagement on our our posts. On we right. post all of our blogs on Facebook, and right. most people are like tagging their friends and going right. check this out. So like we still do this now with um, kind of core topics that come through. We realize that once you start talking about investing, people started asking us questions about their KiwiSaver. So last week we did a blog explaining what KiwiSaver is. Right. And so was that the main platform where you really started building an audience was through Facebook, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, mainly through social. Yeah. And did you have an idea of the type of audience demographic that you were aiming at? Or were you kind of open to whoever was interested in, and go wide and see who showed up and then started shaping, figuring out who your audience was? I think that we knew the attitude of our customer and I, I, and we did have some kind of high level demographic things right. um, but it was definitely people who were looking 
who were kind of aware of their finances mm. and aware that they had a financial future. Right. So um, we kind of say, you know, when, when you're responsible for your own money right. is a key milestone in your life. Right. Yep. You've gone from like living at home, however the money works at home, and though you're like, now I get to choose. You're out I'm on in your control. Own. Yeah. I'm like spending it on whatever. So is that I like. uni or is that post uni? Um, I would say it's whenever you get, I guess, uh, a f- in control of your finances. So it right. could be. Yeah, for some people. Some people don't is, go yeah. to uni. Um, yeah. Some people leave school and become like. Yeah, get, I'm in school in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely, it's like after school or at a point where you're leaving home. Right. And then there's the the group that are aware that hey, I'm kind of thinking I want this thing. And the goal is not this year. The right. goal is two years or three years or four years or five years. That means I'm going to have to structure some stuff today to get to that point. So the goals, and they already have that matured. Oh, so you, so, so the goals are, the are next, long. Right, yeah, yeah. So the goals are longer term. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the group that's looking for us now. Right. Because that would have looked like buying a house. Yeah. Um, and so that is kind of an age range. Kind of. It yeah. does really, you know, synchronize with an age. Yeah. Depending yeah. on where you, um, depending on mm. your attitude, I mm. guess. And so the one thing I should have asked way early on was, oh, is this only targeted at New Zealand and was this the only market that you were interested in or is it, you know, and you have global ambitions? We are starting in New Zealand mm. um, because we, this is where we we feel like we can kind of develop out our product um, and engage our market and things like that. Um we have our eye on global. Mm. Um, it's quite a different competitive landscape. Mm. We do assess our global competitors right. all the time, yep. just keeping an eye and making sure that our our value proposition can translate overseas. Yep. Um, but it is it's that thing around like financial services, how you would enter that market would be a, a completely different way because they have different regulation and things like that. So it's something that we've scoped out, but it's not something that we're doing, say, right. this year. Right. So the... Intention with the accelerator was to make you investor ready, but of mm-hmm. course you were you'd already raised investment. Mm-hmm. So did it was that like a grand slam home run when you pitched and you said we've already raised four hundred grand? I guess the way that those things are structured and that there is this event. Yeah. But really like so much is happening before yeah. that event. That is not the first time you meet investors. That is not the first time right. um that they hear about your product or are aware of you yeah. and your existence. So um, I guess part of the accelerator, they have a really close tie with angel investor mm, networks. Mm. And so the angel investors are invited to the first ever opening night of the accelerator. You meet them, you talk with them, yeah. they hear about your idea. They come back like a month later, they hear where you're at, what you've developed in that time. Um, so it's more of a constant conversation. Right. And so to say, I think if you kind of went into those events thinking that you keep your idea a secret, talk to this room and everyone's like, Here's my money. <laughs> I don't like that. It's yeah. not how that works. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, there, there is, you know, I've always found a little bit of reality TV aspect to accelerator programs. And how do you feel about it? Did you f- get a sense of that? Or you felt this is the real deal? This is. Um, I guess you are in a program mm. and you, you have to be clear of what you want to get out of sure. that. Um, and I think you have to stick to your kind of your guns on right. what you want. But you certainly found it as an avenue, as a useful mechanism of getting to where you wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. That's In a why big we way. Went like, do you it. think? Do you think you could have done this without it? Um, it's always. I think it's one of those things. If you stand somewhere and you're happy where you're at, where you are, it's really hard to kind of 
say I would have changed something right, because right. who knows? Yeah, yeah. You never know. Everything. Will I be think um, we needed a start date, mm. and this commitment point to go full time was so awesome for us. Right. Um, you can you see so many people like drag out an idea for ages and then they miss their moment or they miss the time. Um, it was a hot space. We needed to get on it. Like, now. and did you find any drawbacks to being part of an accelerator? Um, no, I think if you're clear what you want, you mm. kind of you're in control of right. your own destiny. You right? didn't get you any bum steers or you know people giving you bad advice or anything like that. Um, no, but it's like people are going to give you bad advice yeah, whether sure. you're in an accelerator or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think you have to be a filter at all yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. It's like people, you know, and even if it's the kind of thing where you're going to take it on and mull over it. But part of like running your own company is having this drive to do yeah. something in a certain way or like seeking information. But then the final decision is really like, no, I just want to give this a go or I want to see this. And like, so you have to take advice, but then the decision, you right. don't have to act on all the advice you're given. Yeah. And I think whether you're in an accelerator or not, you get advice yeah. when you're starting out and, um, it's knowing what advice to take. Yeah. And then I think one so, of the things, I guess, is um, there can be this focus of short creating short-term value. Mm. Um, but, you know, we were in it for a marathon. You know, we knew mm. we wanted to create a great, sustainable, long-term business. Right. Um, and and we really stuck to it. And that. so that, that was something else I wanted to talk about. Like, again, what your expectations were as you, you started getting some – momentum and some traction mm -hmm. of you know people are interested this is a real thing when did you have a sense of how big this could be and how big you wanted it to be i guess it's always really um exciting every time you talk to someone and i i don't know you know when you run customer research or you're mm. or you're talking to someone about a topic mm. that and on any other day you would never be talking mm. to this person about this thing mm. And then you learn so much about that you're that it's striking a nerve yeah. or that there's something in this. And I think it would have to even be from that first set of customer interviews yeah. when it feels like you're onto something. Mm. And I mean, for me personally, like I'm massively motivated by the positive impact that this can have. Mm. And sometimes I just think of a world in five years mm. where this exists and and what does that look and, like? And oh, it's just like people, the conversation is different. Like yeah. already in the six months that we've launched, um, you know, people have dropped their fees. People are now trying to communicate with their customers in a different way. Across the industry. Across the industry. Right. And um, I think that's exciting to see that change happening. Right. The ripple effect. Yeah, from what yeah. You've done, and right? then every time you get an email from someone that says, I never thought I could be an investor. And now I feel like, you know, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street or like yeah, we get yeah, all yeah. these gifts of like Wolf of Wall Street. Right. Yeah, yeah. But people are investing with smaller amounts and and some people are investing with bigger amounts. Right. But um, it really, when I think of that, I guess we talk a bit about um, it being like low financial literacy being mm. an, an inherited problem. Mm. Um, that if your family don't know much about money and you grow up in that way, you then know less about money. Mm. Um, the people who are more likely to invest are people whose parents invested. Mm. Um, and I guess we see ourselves initially playing a role in helping educate everyone and, and, and kind of giving everyone the same opportunities mm. to dip in and get started. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think of the conversations that are happening in five or ten years as being not 
is kind of where we are now. Yeah. I hope everyone feels like they can invest. Like I think that's quite a different point of view. Yeah. It's just knowing that you're empowered, knowing that you've got control. Yeah. No, I mean, it's brilliant um, to democratize mm. uh, this thing that right now we can see the on the grand economic scale, mm. the huge inequality, mm-hmm. and it's growing even bigger, and that, that has also political implications. And so, you know, making it making it more accessible to more people seems like a really great thing to be involved with and that you're, you know, ideally changing people's lives and making them more prosperous is phenomenal, but we haven't gotten there yet. So you haven't launched in our little timeline that we've been going through. Oh, okay. We're not there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so, you know, let's get to the, to the, well, so you do the accelerator. Did you raise money off of that? Did you? So only the convertible note that we raised yeah. before the demo right. day. Yeah. Yep. So, you get to a, you launch this product mm-hmm. and how did that turn out? So the way that we did it was, um, we launched to a small amount mm. of people, um, pretty much us and like friendlies, yeah. like who tested the platform first. So yeah. we placed investments, we deposited money, um, and just made sure that everything was working mm. right. And was it? Yep. Yeah, cool. No issues, which was great. Um, <laughs> And then slowly we kind of released to a small group every day. So the first time, like, I think we launched to 200 people. Right. Um, So we ended up, instead of just launching to 200, we then ended up launching to without, like, we were going to just run the beta as kind of this closed thing for a month or so with 200 people Mm. using the platform. Mm. Um, But then that made the decision that we would actually keep rolling it out, that there were no issues. Um, Right. And we just kind and of demand was yeah high. yeah demand was high. People kept kind of emailing saying, "Can right. I get it now? My friend's right. been invited. Can I get invited?" Right. Um, so then we just went through the list of people, um, and we had quite a good conversion rate off that. I can't remember what it was, but I remember it being a really awesome one. Yeah, I remember because I went yeah. to a talk. <laughs> and yeah, Brooks. You yeah. know, I was yeah. staggered by the number yeah. that you had. We set so at the moment now we're on about twelve and a half thousand active investors. Mm. Um, and we had set a goal to be, I think we were supposed to be at around like, yeah, 8,000. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's through the roof, kind of up into the right, as Mm -hmm. they say, which is exactly what you want. It seems like it's a big success. Do you feel like you're on the road? And when, when do you actually, you, at some point you do raise some more money, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we did, we did, um, a seed round. So we have raised money. We just um, raised money towards the end of last year. Right. Um, and that was kind of our official kind of first raise. Right. And then, um, depending on how things go, we'll be looking to do another one. And how much was that? How much did you raise? That was $2 million. Dollars. Right. Okay. We've got some traction. We've got some success. Mm-hmm. Now what? Now, and so what is the, you know, is is it like grow fast, grow as big as we can, or... Are you trying to do a measured kind of organic, sustainable growth? What? How are you? We're definitely growing, you know, growing and have ambitions to grow. So by the end of the year, we kind of hope that all Kiwis feel like they have access to investing. Yeah. Um, which is kind of our big, hairy, audacious mm. goal, I guess, mm. around making sure that people know about us right. and that we are kind of living that purpose of mm. people being able to invest. I would say that... We are iterating on what we've got going on now. Mm. We Our key focus are, is on engaging people and making sure that, 
you know, you, you can invest once, but really the the value comes when you invest as a habit. Right. And um, so we're really spending some effort in getting to know how often people want to invest, how we can kind of help people stick to those goals that are setting themselves over the long term. And then other kind of being accessible to other audiences as well, right. like kids, because at the moment you have to be 18 and over, but a lot of people want to invest for children. So we're exploring that at the moment. We have these goals of, um, you know, making investing more social, meaning that you can kind of create clubs and right. start to invest as a group um, and then helping people make more confident investment right. decisions. And then as so as a team, though, mm-hmm. are you, you know, looking to grow the team rapidly mm-hmm. or is it, you know? So we've just hired three people right? Um, and we have two more roles out at the right. moment. Um, and that is, I guess that was also a positive thing about having quite a big founding team mm. is that, you know, we could really get on for so long without needing, you know, any external, to expand, yeah. yeah, without needing to expand, that's the right words. Um, and then it was kind of gaps. Mm. So, um, one of the first hires was Nat, who's our lawyer, mm. um, and is so awesome. And so you think like, it's very rare that if one of the startups first hires would be a lawyer, mm. um, it's so great because it's really helped us grow and make sure that that's a key part of what we're doing. Right. Um, and is that mostly to do with regulation? Yeah, and also like customer experience. So when you are marketing a financial mm. product, you have to – there are regulations yeah. in how you, specifically around how you market that mm. type of product. Um, there's also the governance side mm. of the business. Yep. Um, and then as well the regulation and making sure that – we're kind of in a place mm. with the ideas that we've got coming right. up to make the most of those. Right. It sounds like, you know, users really love the platform. They're giving you gifts and they're giving you this emotional feedback, which sounds, you know, mm-hmm. that, that makes your job really gratifying, mm-hmm. I, I expect. Yeah, we have a love channel on yeah. Slack uh, yeah. <laughs> to, that we share things like that because I think it helps. You can, you know, when, you're, when you are working on stuff like it, it is nice to know that it is making a difference. Yeah, yeah. Have there been any snags along the way? Have there been any hiccups? Um, there's always kind of small ones. I always struggle to think, and I should have a few kind of planned mm. and lined up. But um, there is, because I don't know if you just block it out, because that's right. what you have to do. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but I guess there are things like um, once we got on the news, right. and that was such a cool moment, yeah. and our um, sign-ups really spiked. But right. then the uh, the online database that we check people's IDs mm. just happened to be down at the same time. Right. And so it was like this beautiful moment for us as a company. Right. Um, but it was also like a lot of people's first user experience yeah. was uh, computer says no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what that meant is, so it was a Saturday night and oh, it was at a, like, it was like seven o'clock or something. And we're like, yeah, we've been on the news. <laughs> and then we're like, why is our customer support going so crazy? <laughs> Um, we all jumped in and um, we like put a, put something proactive before that page mm. saying, you know, this is, right. we're getting some errors here. Um, if you have this type of ID, use that ID. Right. Um, but the driver's license is down. Um, and did you find that a moment? Because, you know, I've experienced this both as a user and as a, you know, developer, you know, running a business that actually those moments where you're, you screw up. And then you fix it as, and you communicate about mm. that. 
actually really build a lot of trust that people are recognize you're human they appreciate your you know the problem you're having and they're actually patient Mm. did you find that oh definitely and I think that was the thing about jumping in there and and being so responsive Mm. at the time like everyone wrote back no worries and like you're in beta and you know new product expect this and um and we just kind of made sure our communication Mm. was really real like and again, so so what's what's fascinating about your role is that you're head of marketing and head of product. So you're doing both, you know, building the product and doing all the comms and all the messaging and, and building the audience. So is that like, you know, a huge overload or, you know, is that double your work or do, do you see those as really um, two sides of the same thing? Definitely. Um I see them as two sides of the same thing. Mm. Um, I have... Because it's traditionally, of, they're very segregated. Yeah. There's a marketing department. And I think I saw that as a problem yeah. in other places. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give it a shot at seeing what it's like if those two worlds can coexist. Yeah. And it's because I think really at a business the size that we are, if we set a goal of, you know, even if it's an acquisition goal, around like how many company uh, how many customers we want to bring on you can solve that in product you can solve that in marketing you can mm. solve that anywhere um how you solve that shouldn't be dictated like that right it's just like we have this problem how are we going to solve this yeah um and how are we going to solve it in the way that um i guess gives us the most impact um but also at a, in a company that's our size it's around um you know but also managing our resources really wisely mm. So I think of um, sometimes you can get into building stuff that people don't like or people don't want. Um, you can, when an email would have done, mm. or right. um, you can spend heaps of money on campaigns to highlight something that your product should, just should have done in the first place. It should just be that thing. Right. Um, so I guess that's the methodology. Right. I think as well, like what you decide to build is really, really important, and I think it's about having all the inputs you need to make mm. the decisions. So customer well, I mean, support sits yeah. in that, that framework as well. Oh, does it? Right. Because it's like so many times part of the you, user experience. sometimes you ignore mm. your customers. Why would you ignore them? <laughs> mm. And it's about this whole thing of being um, responsible for making sure you are delivering and that you're not selling a product that doesn't exist, that you're not ignoring your current customers that are, that it's it's not like customer support is not how you save money yeah. it's how you create value from the customers you have yeah. and it's not a cost center like no, a lot of businesses which is how it. they set it up yeah. mostly so um it's an opportunity it's actually a marketing channel yeah, if you do it right it's it, and that's another thing that's separate is customer support and marketing yeah so usually you have a customer support team that handles all the reactive comms yeah that where it's your customers kind of talking to you and asking questions, and then you have the marketing team who do lifecycle communications, who are proactively communicating to customers. They really can be the same. Yeah. You're thinking about people. You're thinking about where they're at. You're trying to get them to another place or help. So, have you found it that it really, all of a sudden, gives you a much more holistic approach to the development of your business, but also the develop, you know, the the user experience. Yeah, definitely. I think um, really what that. It's around creating value and making sure mm. you're working on stuff that creates value. Mm. 
And you create value from acquiring customers, you create value from keeping customers, and you create um, value from developing your product to be more valuable. Mm. So it's really like those are all ways of delivering on the same outcome. So you have a a woman who's the CEO, Mm -hmm. you're, you know, a chief officer. Do you, does that mean anything to you or is that, you know, that's only people's hangups about I mean, it is unusual in this industry to a certain extent to have kind of these lead roles be run by women, um, especially like a... It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. <laughs> I, no, no shit. And so, I mean, I think it's it's excellent that it is. And is that has that meant anything to you or is that like a non-issue and really irrelevant? I'd say to say it didn't mean anything to me. Um, it means heaps, right. really. But um, I guess we are from industries that do have lower representation of women mm. in leadership positions. So finance as a whole yeah. uh, and then technology. Mm. I think what it means to work in an organisation, I guess it's very rare that I've been in situations where mm. there has been gender di- gender diversity. Yeah. Um, and I do notice the difference right. in having um, a mixture mm. and a well-spread mixture um, across genders. Do you find decision-making and yeah. in, in the things that you feel comfortable talking about? And it, you, Although you think, cool, yeah, I'm a confident person and I've just you know been going about my life in this way, I do notice it because I've never been in those situations before. Mm. I also think that we actively, we, so when we're hiring our, our board, we actively looked for um, gender diversity in yeah. that too. And so um, our independent director is Alison Geary, um, and she's amazing. She's such a great person. Um, but it was one of those things that most of the names that are put forward are male, mm. and it's not that we didn't hire awesome people or look for awesome people, mm. but it was a, a, a something that we think is important yeah. as a whole. And is that uh, presumably that's also the hiring team? Yeah, well, and that, and yeah. Um, that was one thing that we kind of think of because we have recently hired, and it is the level that you're hiring at at the moment, especially mm. in technical roles. You really want someone who can hit the ground running, mm. and um, yeah, who has hit, who knows and has been in a role for a while. Yeah. Um, so, so and that's we a found like because, most of the roles because yeah. the pool is smaller. Yeah. So if you're looking for a senior um, female dev, yeah. maybe the, the pool is smaller. Mm. But um, so the, the applicants, most of the applicants we got on were male. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something we talked about. Um, but really it was, is it, you know, the best person for the job mm-hmm. from the group that we have? But we run all of our job ads through um, a tool that tells you how gender specific your job ads are. Right. So they tell you kind of suggest different language and different words that would attract different mm-hmm. um, genders, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to attract Yeah, know, yeah, I think audience. there's just like lots then, of different bias things yeah. that and you eth- can do. ethnic, you know, different, you know, if you're looking for diversity, mm-hmm. are you also looking for different Yeah, definitely. Diversity? I think diversity of thought yeah. um, is really what you're trying to bring to the mm. table um, and creating environments where not just you're attracting those people, but it's also the environment where those diversity of thought is... Mm. Um, I guess looked after as well. Yeah, so you're like, what's that? There's that like line about inviting people to the party. It's one mm. thing to invite someone to a party; 
and then another thing to like talk to them at the party or like make oh, them right. feel like yeah, yeah. you know they fit in um and so it's around like two-sided being aware of openness of and inclusion and, yeah, yeah inclusion that's the yeah. word so um i'm curious where you think see things headed in the work that you're doing are there any big ideas on the horizon or big trends either technology or social trends that you think are going to have a big impact on what you do yeah um I guess one of the key ones would be around um, open banking or open data. Mm. So at the moment, um, customer data or, or banking data is owned by the provider and it's mm. kind of locked down. Um, in, the, in the UK, they've made it um, that that's open data that as a customer, you own that by data. By regulation? Yeah, by right. regulation. Yeah, cool. So it means that um, well, I think what that will enable is people – being able to create the user experiences they want mm. on top of data and information that they have. And so I think it will allow other kind of more customized user yeah. experiences, mm. I guess, to pop up. And right. there isn't a one-size-fits-all mm. approach to how you want to do things right. as a person. Um, and so I think that's something that is going to be exciting right. in the space. Right, cool. Do you it's see good. a place for artificial intelligence in your work? Have you dabbled in it? Are you act- actively doing anything? Um, I would say, I mean, we puzzle? are in, <laughs> yeah, we are in some way, which is around like Intercom, which is our customer support. Yeah. It scans the customer replies and replies with an article from our help center. Right. Um, so I think where it adds value to people and where it's mm. meaningful, yes. Right. Then there's definitely a space. I think anything I mean, I, that happens be, over and over. I would think that like an AI maybe be, would be able to help people pick a portfolio mm. that's right for them or what to do. You know, like, I guess that's another thing that's interesting in our space is that um, to give advice, uh, anyone that's not a human. So the regulation yeah. is that you have to be a human to give financial right. advice. Right. So that means it's illegal to give digital advice. Right. But the FMA um, has recently done a piece on that allowing people to apply for a license to provide digital advice. Um, So I think anything, that's definitely like Mm. a space that we look into. It's called robo-advice, but really um, it's about helping people. (laughs) It's really about helping people, um, you know, make good financial decisions. Good financial decisions are personal. So if you can input information and that you get a personalized financial advisor back, then... That can that's pretty amazing. Analyze huge sets yeah. of data that are your personal data. Yeah. That a person a you wouldn't necessarily want them to be yeah. snooping around your data, and then it's just too complex for them to actually analyze that easily. So those are like that. Those would be the two key things. Which, and blockchain because you need data to then make that final. Yeah. You know the financial decisions. Blockchain is that is that anywhere on your radar in any meaningful way? Um, I think that we at the moment there's no real value for us to be um, on the blockchain or right. like using blockchain technology. Right. Um, but it is definitely a space that... And cryptocurrency, getting... in terms of investing in cryptocurrency, is that on your horizon at all? Um, it's something that gets asked about <laughs> yeah. heaps yeah. from our um, customers. Yeah. And I think it's definitely a hot space. Um, at the moment, we see that it fits more in a speculation bucket than yeah. in investing. Yeah. Uh, but it's something we keep a close eye on because right. it is linked to how well, you know, those technologies go. Yeah. So we kind of invest. We have a crypto club. Yeah. How that do we you? invest in. All right. Um, Just in your team. In our team, yeah. yeah, yeah cool. We all kind of contribute to that. Oh, that's good. Um, you know, so we definitely, uh, uh, we keep an eye on right. the technologies that affect us. Yeah. 
what do you see as an exit through this company? So it would be um, our plan is to IPO. Right, right. Um, but we definitely, um, it's one of those things that we always talk about and um, around like whether there's a partnership opportunity or something like that. But really like that's our, right. that's our viewpoint. Awesome. Mm. That's great. Backtracking a little bit, where, where did you grow up? Live in. Live in, right. Yeah. Do you know where that is? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Driven through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you have any sense growing up like that this was a field that you were interested in and that you were attracted to and that you saw yourself someday doing? Technology? Yeah. I don't think I knew it existed. Right. And I mean that and when you kind of grow up in a smaller place, like someone who studies science – when you study science, you can be a teacher, a science teacher, you know, like... And that's what you studied? Science? No, I didn't. No. Study, but, yeah. like, this is the yeah, thing yeah, yeah. you know, like, when you it's think of jobs that exist, it's a smaller kind yeah. of, I guess, pool of jobs that exist in smaller towns. Right. Then there is that jobs that exist in cities, mm. where there's really so many jobs yeah. of all different types, and you're so like, you... I can't even believe that's a job. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so your horizon was not as broad as... You know, you you if you were growing up in the city, you'd be much more exposed. Yeah, and, and That's I uh, your sense of it. So, so did you grow up with a computer? Yes. Right. So you did have. We a, got it later. Right. In my. And did childhood. that trigger anything for you? Was that like opened up a world of op, op possibilities? Of MSN Messenger, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was more like communication. Yeah. But it's yeah. the same. Like, so I think the first the moment where everyone got cell phones, I remember there was a campaign that coke was running where you could buy coke and under the lid you could earn you could win a cell phone right. and at the time they were like alcatel these big kind of crap yeah. two yeah. lines text things yeah. um and i remember the girl in front of me <laughs> won the free phone right. and i was like oh it could have been mine <laughs> but um but it was kind of like so it was about 14 that where for me cell phones started becoming right. this everyday yeah. thing um, but it, they were definitely like Nokias and Snakes. Yeah. And I think definitely the part that attracted me about technology was the communication side of it. Right. Like I wasn't in the back of or thinking, I wonder how this works. And so did you <laughs> uh, go to uni? Yes. Right. And what did you study there? I studied marketing and accounting. Oh, right. Okay. But I went to uni later. Like So I worked first and then um, I think I went to uni when I was And was 21. the work in tech at all or what was the work that you did? I worked... Um, I worked in a law firm as a receptionist. Right. I worked on, I milked cows for a little while. Right. I as you do. worked in, in, a, in. I worked in a call center. Um, so right. lots yeah, yeah. of different kind sure. of entry level jobs. And and at that stage when you were going into, so you decided to go into marketing and accounting. Was tech on your horizon at all, or what? What did that mean to you, marketing and accounting? Uh, it means oh. <laughs> Traveled overseas and thought, oh, I want to live overseas. <laughs> and then, and then, um, Here's my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I'd heard that if you got a degree, you're more likely to get entry into another country. Right. Um, but really, I think that was a moment where my horizon opened. But I think I studied marketing because I was interested in people and communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied accounting because probably my sister was an accountant and I knew that that was a job. Um, and... But I think the key moment for me was when I was at uni, I got a part-time job. Mm. Uh, and my flatmate at the time worked at Springload, which is a web design agency. Mm. And I started working there. Um, and 
Doing what? Uh, I was called the studio assistant, which meant so much. It meant like doing the grocery shop mm. and, you know, stuff like that. But every now and then it was, hey, can you, it was, you know, do Google Analytics and learn about that and start getting into that. Mm. I started getting into doing a bit of copywriting. I learned that user experience was a job. Right. I learned that um, just about the web, about best practice, about what it can do, about what it means to have a high quality mm. or <laughs> standards mm. for mm. things. Um, learned detail. And at that stage, did you were you starting to get any aspirations? Like you want to build something of your own, start your own company? Yes. I would say that, or I definitely was pretty um, inspired through working there. Like I kind of felt like I'd learned about a whole new world that I didn't Mm. know existed and Mm. I was, I had caught the bug of it all. Um, So I knew I wanted to get better and I knew I wanted to, I liked the craft of it. Mm. I liked the fact that you can kind of spend this time and and going over and over something to make it better and better and better. But yeah, I always wanted to start my own company. If I think of like, I always was having kind of like little ideas and like if I think if I think of my Google Docs, mm. I opened them the other day and sometimes there's just like, it's like a symmetry of like <laughs> ideas that yeah. I've had and yeah. like things that I've started writing about and problems that I've kind of thought about and then, you know, you don't kind of progress them more. But yeah. there, were a, there were a range of things. But still, they, I'm sure if you look back on it, there's a thread there and there's, they lead, one leads to another yeah. leads to, you know, the one that you actually end up yeah. doing. Well, like, I mean, before, there's <laughs> always been a curiosity. I guess mm. it was like a spark of curiosity yeah. and, and I guess a belief that you can change things mm. or you can be a part of things and it's not a stretch to start doing your own thing. Right. And do you feel like like that spring load experience was kind of that was the pivotal moment where you mm-hmm. recognized that? Yeah, yeah I would cool. say so. Yeah, awesome. And that's a, a woman-run founded business too, which is really, yeah. I think, helps a role model to yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah bronze awesome and yeah. just really smart and i think that was a values driven place yeah um and i think when you've worked somewhere like that um you have table stakes of what it means to feel of how a company should run right awesome so uh well, it's something i should have asked you before about hiring do you hire interns or uni students fresh you know grads we have one uni student yeah um who did our customer support over the holidays and mm. is now going to stay on um awesome. when from which school back to uni. she um it's from messy right uh, and she did comms right. and now she's doing i think psychology right mm. and is it some do you, you know do you actively look for grads and um i think it's something that we want to be a part of and mm. yes i would say that we actively look for them I think um, a constraint of that is that you do need the time to spend, teach people things. Mentoring. and Yeah, yeah. you're mentoring, that's yeah. the word, um, which can be kind of cost or like a, yeah. a time cost on yeah. you. Sure. Um, but it's something that we definitely, because that's all part of like why we exist. It's around mm. opportunities mm. as well. And so do you have any advice for students that want to get in the game? Yeah, I guess... Um, like enthusiasm goes a long way and I think a bit of a can-do attitude and a willingness to learn. Mm. I think um, it's great to be confident, it's good to have work, um, but it's also like understanding that, you know, every bit that you can contribute 
although like it is learning in some way mm. like when I like my example about when I was at Springload like I really didn't know anything when I started there mm. and I had a you know a job that I was doing all bits and pieces but you do pick it up and understand mm. that people have been working in that field for ages and it's like <laughs> there's a lot to learn from yeah. from people around you and also I guess it's that whole real life is a little bit different to uni I think it's different maybe coming out of uni um when you're trying to get people to give take a chance on you I think oh a classic thing would be if you say you're a details oriented person check your cover letters excruciatingly for yeah. typos because um you know that's something that gets said a lot and comes mm. through and it's surprising the number of times you see that um as well as make sure that you are applying to the job that you think you know like don't that you actually know something about the job. That yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And, like, say why you're different or say that you've followed them or you say, you know, learn a bit about the company because really, like, for us, we want people who believe in what we're doing and are excited about what we're yeah. doing and want to help us do that. You know, some kind of interest in what mm. what we're doing and, and some kind of interest in the space is, yeah. is definitely because then it's, like, if you're passionate about something, mm. then you will put in the time. Um, and so the other thing is, like, only apply for stuff you care about. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's great advice. <laughs> that <laughs> should have been my first advice. <laughs> I know. Well, it's, but it's, it's, it's terrifying how many kids just are like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And just, you know, and I think that's the advice there is really start figuring out, you know, what you get excited about. And like, even and if it's like write a note to, to self, yeah. I like days where I do this stuff, yeah. which I still do now, mm. write a list. Right. Today was a good day. I think it was because of this. Right. Oh, cool. <laughs> and then you can reflect and go, Oh, yeah, I like working in those environments. Right. Yeah, yeah. So how can I make sure I do that more often? Great. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay, cool. um, I think you're doing some amazing work, and it looks like you're having great fun doing it. It is so much fun. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. Asking me along. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's our show for today. I'm thrilled you've hung in there to the end. Thank you. I'd love to get any and all feedback about the show, about our guests, any questions or comments and suggestions. Just email me, philip at alchemypodcasts.com. That's philip with one L, P-H-I-L-I-P, at alchemypodcasts, with an S at the end, dot com. Thanks for listening, and I'd like to thank Massey University for supporting the show. I'd also like to thank Salman Crook for the great theme music. Salman is a third-year commercial music student at Massey and clearly on his way to a great career. Finally, please visit alchemypodcasts.com to see photos from this story, check out our other episodes, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at alchemypodcasts, for news and updates about the shows we're working on. That's all for now. Cheers! <laughs>